We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Hope everyone is uh, doing well um, on this Tuesday evening. Uh, first and foremost, have to lead off the show with uh, just thoughts and prayers going to um, the families down and and. Uh, Texas, that community and the school and everything with everything going on there. It's just, uh, it's sad that these, uh, that these things keep happening. Um, the, the only thing that I will, that I will say with this is I, I, I don't want to get into politics with all this, but we, we need to pray as a nation for our nation, for our leaders and for the people that are that are in charge um pray that they keep christ in the center of the decisions that they make and uh because that's the only way that we're gonna truly really fix this problem um is keeping christ in the center of all of it but until until that happens we will continue we'll, we'll always have issues there will always be problems but um we we definitely changes need to be made that's for sure but again let's uh let's uh go into a little a little something more lively and exciting and try to talk about football uh college football and uh on this episode i'm going to talk <clears throat> got my coach's corner segment where i'm going to talk about marcus freeman and the university of notre dame um i know what what they mean to the college football world. Um, it's going to be a big deal there. Um, then my armchair quarterback segment is going to be on Conference USA. Um, some uh, good returning players and then some transfers from the portal are going to enter. Um, give a shot in the arm to some teams. Um, then the SEC coming out. Um, talking about how in 2025 they may create their own playoff I I will say this is a discussion I've had with a good friend of mine for a while. Um, something that we've discussed. I'll go into <clears throat> go into our thoughts or my thoughts and his as well. But uh, with this process, and then of course I'm going to finally give my reaction to the Nick Saban, uh, Jimbo Fisher back and forth. <clears throat> I'll give you some insight from my time as a college basketball coach and the world that uh the world of coaching and the world that coaches live in and recruiting in that aspect i will i will speak from a basketball perspective since that's what i coached but uh i also speak a little bit on <clears throat> those two as well but first i just want to dive into the sec um they they've in their meetings that they got coming up, they're talking about it's going to be on the table, something they're at least discussing of uh, 
in 2025 when Oklahoma and Texas join the conference that they're they're going to be talks of creating their own playoff, um, an SEC playoff in its own right. Um, first off, I, I think it's the SEC needs to get off their high horse. I mean, I understand you're the best conference in college football, best teams year in, year out, blah, blah, blah. But to to sit there and hold yourself to to that level um, is just a little much for me. Um, I, I, I understand if the Power Five conferences want to separate and do their own thing, which I think is eventually going to happen. I think the Power Five is going to be its, th- its own thing. I think the G5 is going to be its own thing. And then FCS will be its own thing. Um, but I also believe there's going to be another another major conference realignment um, before that all takes place. But for the SEC to <clears throat> to say that, it now I sit there and say they're on their high horse and all this and that, but I will say this is a discussion that uh, me and my good friend Nick Izzo, who I've had on the show before, um, have talked about. We we've we come from the basketball background as coaches, um, and the NBA has the the G League, or for a long time is the D League, the developmental league. Baseball obviously has the minor leagues, the minor league system, that whole system there. The NFL doesn't have that, and him and I have long talked about that. We have felt that the SEC or some of the other big Power Five schools could become the basically breeding ground or developmental league for the NFL and that a select number of schools will be the will be the ones doing that and we've said that for NCAA college basketball as well that 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 there would be its own thing as well but it's just kind of something we've discussed for for many years that we've thought that that it's coming to that and I'm I'm a firm believer that that really, really could happen. Um, I would love to hear other people's thoughts on that. Um, But it's just, it's sad to me that this this whole thing has taken place. Because we finally have a G5 team last year in Cincinnati who breaks through into the college football playoff and plays about as good as they really could against Alabama in that circumstance. Um, They... They prove that they belong. I'll just say that. They prove that they belong more so than Michigan did. I'll just say that. But uh, I don't think there's a G5 team at that level this year. But still for them to get that opportunity and to play to the level that they did in that game, <clears throat> I think says a lot. And we saw how highly regarded that Cincinnati team was this year with how many guys that got drafted from that team. I believe it was eight or nine guys got drafted in the NFL draft this year. So, it, it it's with all that being said, I know I'm sitting there saying, kind of bashing the SEC for even thinking about this, but if we're being realistic here, if we look at it, okay, Alabama, Georgia, we know where they are in the hierarchy of college football. LSU with Brian Kelly, we know what they could be. Texas A&M certainly thinks high, very highly of themselves and where they could be. Um, I'll get into that. A little bit later on on how I kind of feel about that. 
Um, I, I think I might be hinting towards that with how I worded that right there. But uh, they seem to think very highly of themselves. Um, then you're going to bring in Oklahoma, who has proven that they can play at that level. They've made the playoff multiple times. And, I mean, we all know Texas has the potential. I don't know if they'll get there, but they have the potential to do it. Then Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, you know, he can bring people in. I mean, in Kentucky, it's going to be very good this year. South Carolina is getting better. So, I mean, obviously there is a a hierarchy in the SEC that is the, the, the cream of the crop when it comes to college football. So... It makes it makes sense that they would that they would uh, do this or say this or talk about this, but at the same time, as a college football fan and purist, I don't want that to take place. But time will tell, and I'm and as we all know, money will tell the story for that. If if ESPN or someone else is willing to pay a ton of money to the SEC to do this, we already know what's going to happen. So that's what it's going to boil down to. It's all money. It's all money grab. We all know that. Um, with with that being said, let me, speaking of money, let's just go into the coach's corner segment when it comes to uh, Notre Dame hiring Mark, Marcus Freeman. Now, I, the only reason I say that is because of a lucrative contract that you get at Notre Dame. Um, but, uh, I'm a big fan of this hire. I think Marcus Freeman is a guy that recruits will obviously gravitate towards. Um, he's young. He's not not much older than I am. Um, only three years older than me, honestly. Um, and uh, but the the huge thing is for him is he played at an extremely high level obviously played at Ohio State he's a linebacker got drafted in the NFL in 2009 <clears throat> didn't work out so he just goes right into coaching as a GA at Ohio State then the year after that becomes a linebackers coach at Kent State he's there for 2 years and goes to Purdue as a linebackers coach for 3 years then becomes a co-defensive coordinator at Purdue for a year then gets the defensive coordinator job at Cincinnati for 3 or 4 years then last year gets it at Notre Dame and then obviously is promoted <clears throat> this year um, as head coach. So, again, I'm a big fan of this hire because of how well he will how well he will relate to the players because he was there not that long ago. And I think that's huge in today's um, athletics, um, especially for male athletes. Um just I, th I think it's a huge deal that he can walk into a player's house and say I was in your shoes not that long ago and and be able to be able to get those young men and he he's doing a great job at it because in, for the class of 2023 right now Notre Dame has the number one ranked class in the country now obviously it's very early in that cycle but nonetheless, he's doing a great job at that. So, I mean, time will tell from on field and all that. We obviously saw in their bowl game against Oklahoma State. I would never gauge somebody off of one bowl game. Obviously, crazy circumstance there with Brian Kelly leaving and, the, and that whole thing. 
I think they did as well as they could because that was a good Oklahoma State team. So you can't really fault him for that. But did did that Notre Dame team look the best that they looked last season? Of course not. Um, looking into them last season, they went eleven and two. Um, their, that first game of the year, beating Florida State at Florida State in overtime. Florida State played their hearts out that game. That was the Mackenzie Milton performance of the ages for him to come back. And Notre Dame wins that game, gets a good win. Then they turn around at home, beat Toledo only by three. So you're kind of looking at this like, oh, where's this season going? Um, then they turn around, they beat Purdue. Then they throttle Wisconsin at Soldier Field. But then they lose at home to Cincinnati. So they kind of get knocked out uh, of the playoff. They kind of played themselves back in because of other teams losing, but that Cincinnati loss kind of derailed that. Then they win at Virginia Tech by three. They beat USC, beat North Carolina, beat Navy. They win at Virginia handily. Then they, they throttled Georgia Tech, and they win big at Stanford, and then they lose in the bowl game to Oklahoma State by two. Now, last year's schedule for Notre Dame, not on par to the type of, I mean, I, I guess going into the season, it was it was a tough schedule, but it turned out not to be that way because teams didn't live up to their potential. So you kind of look at this year, and, and of course, that first game this year is going to be, <clears throat> is huge for both programs, but they go to Ohio State week one. We're going to learn a lot about both both teams. I mean, I think we all know how great Ohio State's going to be, but it's really, really intriguing to see how good Notre Dame is going to be. They have a new starting quarterback, and your first game is going to be at the Horseshoe in Columbus. Um, obviously, Marcus Freeman played at Ohio State, so this is a big deal. This is a big game in, in any sense. I mean, two of the best programs in the history of college football. It's going to be fun. Then, then they get Marshall, who who is going to have a very good chance of winning the Sun Belt. Um, so that, that's, not a, that's not a cakewalk by any means. Then they get Cal. They go to North Carolina. <clears throat> then they play BYU in Las Vegas. And that is a sneaky, sneaky tough game because BYU is going to be really good next year. BYU is a sneaky sleeper for the college football playoff next year or this year. They return a ton, and they're going to be really, really good. So that's a sneaky, sneaky good game there. Then, then they host Stanford, host UNLV. They go to Syracuse, host Clemson, Navy in Baltimore. Then they got Boston College and at USC. I mean, realistically, I see this Notre Dame team losing three games. I mean, honestly, I see them losing to Ohio State. I see them losing to BYU. And I see them losing to Clemson or at USC. I mean, I could even see them losing four games. Um, they, <clears throat> they're this isn't this isn't the type of Notre Dame team that we've grown used to seeing over the past couple years. They're going to have a new quarterback, new running back. Kyron Williams was huge for them last year. I mean, you know that they're going to have guys that they can call on to do great things, but can they step up? The bit, the, one of the main guys that you're going to look at at Notre Dame is tight end Michael Mayer. 
who is probably the best tight end in college football next year. Um, that that's that that is pretty. It's very apparent, I would say. Um, but again, I I I think this coming year for Notre Dame, I mean, you could have three or four losses and. And I don't want that to be a hit against Marcus Freeman because I think he's going to do well. I really do. But they just have, an, they have a tough, tougher schedule this year. That first game at Ohio State could really throw them for a loop because um, Ohio State's going to be unbelievable next year. Um, but So looking into, like I always do with these coaches' corner segments, the commitments that they got from the 22 – 2022 class, ninth overall in the nation. As, as we know, they're going to get great players. They got a five-star linebacker from Hilton Head, South Carolina, coming in. Um, tons of four stars. I mean, you know, you know, Notre Dame's going to pull in guys. Like that's it's a given. They get a transfer defensive lineman from Harvard, transfer kicker from Arkansas State. But the main transfer they get might be the best safety in the country, in Brandon Joseph from Northwestern huge huge deal there because Brandon Joseph could have went to the NFL been a I think probably a day two pick in the NFL draft instead he comes back this year and he very well could be the first safety taken off the board if not second I mean he's going to be right there in the battle for that um, so that that's a huge pickup for them um, looking in, but w with that said, Notre Dame might have to rely on their defense a little bit <clears throat> more heading into the beginning of the season, which which doesn't fare well when you go up against Ohio State in your first game of the year because Ohio State might have the best offense in the country next year with Stroud, Smith and Jigba, and all the plethora of options. Har Har Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, you can go down the line. So that first game could be extremely difficult for Notre Dame. And then then that second game, hosting Marshall. Marshall is a trendy pick to win the Sun Belt, and they very well could do so. They're, that's a good football team. They have a fantastic running back, some other fantastic pieces. But throughout the season, that BYU game is going to be tough, hosting Clemson going to USC. Boston College is going to be really good. So, I mean, I see a scenario where they – I mean, they could even lose – I'm not saying they will. They go to North Carolina. I mean, they could lose five games. Um, but I don't want that to be a hit against Marcus Freeman because I think he's going to do a very good job. I just think this schedule this year makes it difficult <clears throat> with the transition on offense that they got going on as well. So, I'm not a – not as big of a fan for Notre Dame going into the 2022 season, but in the future for Marcus Freeman, as long as he continues to have the support from the athletic program and the administration, I think he will do great at Notre Dame. So now I'm going to go into my armchair quarterback segment, um, talking about Conference USA. <clears throat> uh, kind of underappreciated conference when it comes to um, – quarterback play I mean you look at Western Kentucky they've had three quarterbacks draft in the past handful of years I mean I know that's not something that a lot of people think about but 
they, uh, they very well could be the only team that can say that over the past five or so years to have three quarterbacks drafted. It's pretty amazing. But that tells you the turnover that they have at that position. Um, and they got another guy this year who will only be there one year in the transfer from the transfer portal. Um, Derek Doji, um, Doge, who threw for over 3,000 yards in the Big 12 at West Virginia, but <clears throat> just didn't get the love that I feel that he deserved. Now, granted, West Virginia has added a very good option from the transfer portal themselves, but that I'll just leave, leave it there when it comes to um, Western Kentucky right now. So, obviously, Conference USA has lost some teams going down from 14 to 11. Um, so, I will start at the bottom. Number 11, I have uh, Willie Green from Rice. Um, he, he threw for 414 yards, four touchdowns, and three picks last year. So, I mean, obviously not a huge sample size. Um, Rice has struggled mightily over the last few years. Um, but I, I, give, I will give them a ton of credit as they move into the American. They are putting a bunch of money into the football program, into athletics in general. So I, I do feel like Rice is going to climb, but it, it's going to be a struggle this year. I feel like the, the, the quarterback position there is in flux. You don't really know what's going to go on. So that's why I have him at the bottom of my list because I feel I should have led with this, but the, this is a sneaky good group from Conference USA. It really is. The, like the guys at the top or near the top – I mean, the top six, seven, I mean, even eight, you could say. I mean, decent, really decent quarterbacks to good quarterbacks. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a couple guys here who play on Sundays. I really do. So, go to number 10, Matthew Downing at Louisiana Tech. The only reason I have him that low is because he's transferring in from TCU, hasn't really played much, so you don't really know what to expect. But... Louisiana Tech had a really down year last year, but with a new coaching staff coming in, um, I really feel like they're going to get things going again. This is a program that's had a ton of success, even recently. Um, so I really feel like uh, they're going to be able to do some good things there. And I feel like Downing by the end of the year will be much higher on this list. But just going into the season, not knowing what to expect or what he's going to do, puts him at number 10. At number nine, I'm going Austin on from North Texas. Um, he threw for almost 2,000 yards, nine touchdowns, nine picks. So I mean, he's got to he's got to cut down on the turnovers. Um, you got to have a better number than that. You know, North Texas is going to throw the football. That's what they do. So um, he he's going to be used a lot. Going to be relied upon a lot. This is a team who got really hot at the end of the year and it had a lot to do with him playing well towards the end of the year and they were able to make a bowl game so <clears throat> they're coming off that then at number eight um i have i have another transfer gunner holmberg at uh, florida international he's transferring in from duke and you would think a guy who started in the acc i'd have a little higher on this list but his numbers last year at Duke, 2,358 yards, seven touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, 
eight interceptions. <clears throat> Obviously, he didn't have the greatest supporting cast in the world last season at Duke. Um, Mike McIntyre is a is a good coach. I think he'll get him going, get him in the right direction, um, and I think he'll have a productive year. And I think he could even end up a little higher on this list potentially if he plays to the level that he can play at. But also FIU is in a little transition themselves and could could struggle a little bit being in that transition. So that's why I have him at this position. <clears throat> Number seven, I have Nikozi Perry from uh, FAU. Last year, his numbers there threw for 2,771 yards, 20 touchdowns, four rushing touchdowns. So you would think with those type of numbers, I would have him higher on this list. But like I said, I feel like the top six or seven guys in this conference are really good quarterbacks. And I mean, he came in from, I believe he came in from the University of Miami. Um, and it's been a good fit for him. They're FAU, and I feel like he can do some good things and continue to um, build off of how he did last season. So then I go to number six, and this is somebody who I almost wanted to put a little higher, as high as number four even, but uh, Chase Cunningham from Middle Tennessee. Now, I watched two of his games last year against Charlotte and UConn. The Charlotte game he threw for almost 400 yards, and the UConn game he threw for over 300 and this is a guy who throws a really, really good ball, and he just, he just, I mean, he he's spot on. He doesn't turn the ball over. He had 16 touchdowns and only three interceptions, but he got hurt at the end of the year, and Nick Ventiata, Ventiato won the bowl game for Middle Tennessee. So there could be a little bit of a battle there, but I just think Chase Cunningham, I think he's got some really good potential there, um, and he's young. He was a freshman last year. I mean, he's – I really think Middle Tennessee has something with him there. Um, I, I, I really, really was impressed by him in those two games that I watched. Um, now we'll go to the top five. <clears throat> Number five, somebody who put up great numbers last year, Gavin Hardison from UTEP. Uh, he threw for – 3,218 yards, 18 touchdowns, had 13 interceptions, has to cut that number down. The reason I don't have him higher on the list is because he loses his top receiver and one of the best receivers in the country, I might add, Jacob Cohen, who had 1,354 yards and seven of those touchdowns. So you lose a third of your production from one guy. So I think Hardison's numbers are going to drop a little bit just because of losing one of the top guys. I mean, Jacob Cohen is, is a fantastic wide receiver, and I think the country is going to realize that now when they see him at Arizona. If you stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark, you're going to the Wildcats are going to be much improved, and he's going to be a bit of a reason why they are. But let's get back to Hardison here. Like I said, he has to cut down on those interceptions, and he's got to find – a new reliable number one guy. That's going to be key um, for him getting back to 3,000 yards passing. I think it's doable because UTEP, UTEP had, was kind of a surprise last year with how well they played and getting to a bowl. But I think they're, they can do it again, that's for sure. Number four, I got Dylan Hopkins from UAB. Um, 
UAB is a trendy pick this year to be like one of those G5 sleepers to make some real noise. He had 2,274 yards, 18 touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns. Um, he's going to get a bit of a battle, though, this year from Jacob Zeno, who's a transfer from Baylor. I still think Hopkins will get the job just because he's been there and done that. Um, one, they beat BYU in that bowl game last year. Um, so this is a team that's hot coming in. Um, going to look to continue to build off that. And it's crazy to think that just a handful of years ago they were shutting down this program. And what they've done since then has been nothing short of remarkable, really. And the top three guys, these top three guys, I really, really think can have can play on Sundays. Chris Reynolds at Charlotte. I watched multiple games of theirs last year. This young man can throw the football. I mean, he is a good quarterback. Threw for 2,680 yards, 26 touchdowns, had four rushing touchdowns. Um, just, I'm a big fan of his, and I think, I think Charlotte is in great hands with him. Um, they need to get to bowl eligibility, though. I, I was really surprised that they didn't get there last year, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I really think he'll get them there this year. <clears throat> and then one, two. I really went back and forth on this. <clears throat> and I concluded with number two being Frank Harris from UTSA. Now, like I said, I went back and forth on this, and I really feel like you can't go wrong. Two different types of players. Frank Harris threw for over 3,000 yards, 3,177 yards, 27 touchdowns, had 566 rushing yards and six touchdowns. So you get that that dual threat ability and that pop from Harris. Um, and obviously they bring everything back offensively besides Sincere McCormick at running back, who, who was an All-American level player for them last year um, and got slighted in the NFL draft. I'll just throw that in there. <clears throat> but... Harris is going to do some amazing things this year. His numbers could be jaw-dropping um, for UTSA, and UTSA has a shot to just make some incredible noise again. So I put him at number two, and number one I put Derek Doge from Western Kentucky, like I said, coming in from West Virginia, threw for over 3,000 yards in the Big 12. And I have to imagine in that uber pass-heavy offense at Western Kentucky, what he's going to do there, um, the numbers he could put up there. Like I said, I thought he was slighted a little bit at West Virginia. I, I The fans didn't value him the way that I felt they should have, and I think Western Kentucky's getting a, a guy <clears throat> who's going to be ready to go. He's obviously played a ton of games, and I think he's going to be the fourth Western Kentucky quarterback drafted in the past five or so years. So <clears throat> that's my armchair quarterback rankings for Conference USA. Um, like I said, a sneaky good group of quarterbacks there. But now I'm going to conclude the show the next 15, 20 minutes or so talking about <clears throat> the Nick Saban, Jim, Jimbo Fisher, my reaction to that. Um, <clears throat> you can even throw Deion Sanders in as well with the – statements that Nick Saban made. Now, as always, Nick Saban's comments were taken 
out of context, and the media ran with them. They only played snippets. If you listen to the whole interview that he's giving, I mean, Nick Saban is just calling a spade a spade, uh, realistically. I mean, and I'll get into this when I talk about some of my personal experience with coaching college basketball. But, <clears throat> and I, so I'll use, we'll, we'll do the Deion Sanders example first, okay? So the number one recruit in the country ends up going to Jackson State. And yes, I understand he's a corner, a cornerback, and you want to go learn from probably the best cornerback who ever played in Deion Sanders. But I, I, I don't understand why you go play at Jackson State over, say, Florida State or Texas A&M, Alabama, wherever, wherever he was going to go. I mean, that said he got a million-dollar deal from Barstool Sports is what I've – I mean, we've all kind of heard that, um, especially with Deion Sanders' ties with Barstool. But, uh, I mean, what other reason would the kid go? I mean, obviously, obviously there's a deal in place. I mean, I know he went on Twitter and said, oh, I don't have a deal, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we all know what's happening. Like, and, and I'm not upset with the NIL at its core. I've kind of talked about that. But just using that example. And then, <clears throat> and then, uh, Saban saying the things that he did about Jimbo Fisher, about them buying all of their recruits and all this and that. I mean, that's what NIL is there. Uh, well, that's not what it was intended for. It was intended for players to to profit off of themselves, not for boosters to just pay every recruit a dollar amount so they would come to their school. But when you have a booster influence the way Texas A&M does, you can obviously do that. Now, I will say, Jimbo Fisher's remarks were a bit childish, um, in my opinion. Um, I'll just say this. Jimbo Fisher, it, 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 the whole time in that press conference, attacking Nick Saban to no end, saying... I'm not quoting him in this, but basically saying like, you can go talk to people. They know they know who he is. They know how he rolls, and there's a reason why I'll never work for him again. And Jimbo saying, "Oh, I've never cheated." Blah blah blah. But I've never worked. He even said, "I've never worked for any cheaters." But then you're calling Nick Saban out in the press conference saying that he's you're going out without saying it that he's cheating. Well, you worked. You said you didn't work for any cheaters, but now you're saying Nick Saban's cheating. So okay, okay, Jimbo, whatever. What are you saying? Um, so, I don't feel like Nick Saban should have had to apologize. He felt the need to, which is fine. I, I, I'm i fine with that. Um, but one of the things that I don't understand is just, and I kind of hinted to this previously in the show, is the regard that Texas A&M holds themselves in as, as a program who's never won They've never won anything in the SEC from a title perspective. They haven't done anything yet. Their last conference title in the Big 12 was a while ago. Um, so I, I, I just don't understand why there's such this 
persona about A&M, about how they're just going to be this juggernaut now. I understand they beat Alabama last year. They kind of caught lightning in a bottle in that game, and they, but they don't even know who their quarterback's going to be this year. Like, how do you not? How are you supposed to go win the SEC not knowing who your quarterback's going to be? I, I just have a hard time believing that. And I'm a firm believer that Alabama is just going to beat the living brakes off off them when they play this year. I really, really believe that. I, 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 I think Alabama could name the score in that game. Nick Saban's going to have them that ready to go in that game. But uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go into it now, talking about my experience. So I think we all understand the good old boy system that's been in place in college football for a long, long time. I mean, you, the SEC, I mean, every school, I'm not just going to say the SEC, every school. I mean, we all can look at the old Southwest conference. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen the pony express 30 for 30. That was done. We all, we all know about the stuff that's taken place and teams and programs that have taken the fall for it and all this and that. So we know that these payments have been going on forever. And I, again, I can only speak to it from my time as a basketball coach at the college level and from seeing teammates, my high school teammates getting recruited and going through recruitments myself. Um, I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not going to call call out any programs or name any names at all. That I'm not. It's unethical, and I'm not going to do that. But I mean, I will say, like I, I witnessed a, a handful of high school teammates receive benefits to go to a different schools. I mean, one of my teammates in particular is getting recruited. His final two were a very prestigious power five school and a middle of the road mid-major even low major you could say and everybody in the world thought of course he's going to go to the power five school blah 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 well the little mid to the low major school continuously sent envelopes with um the old programs and um things and he would just dump it out and money would fall over the floor in our locker room i mean this was so what school do you think he goes to he goes to the low major school that pays him the money he had a great career and played professionally too so i mean it all worked out for him but i mean that's just at a at a low low major school <clears throat> that he's i mean i saw two or three times where he opened up the envelopes and that happened just in our locker room then one of my best friends goes to a a low major division one and barely plays, but he's still getting he's still getting paid. Barely plays, but still making money. So I mean, there's two examples there. Then I go into my time in the coaching realm. Um, again, not going to name names, but. Uh, um, a very prestigious Power Five program. I I I seen firsthand doing illegal workouts at the Final Four, or doing 
talking to players, you see money get exchanged, different things. Um, I mean, heck, I even worked for a staff that I then quit when this happened, but was paying players, was paying a player to come play for us, which after all that happened, I left, I went somewhere else because I wasn't comfortable representing that. But and that's at, and that was at a very low level of college basketball that that was happening at. So I mean, I, I I say all this not to get clicks or for clout, which was something that I I was almost hesitant to talk about that because I I don't want that to be the case. But I say that because me coaching women's college basketball and seeing those things and being around those things just like at that level the level that i was at and seeing it take place and then the high school recruitment of some of my teammates that i saw take place and they're going to low major schools it then leads me to my main point here of we all we all know that it's taking place in college football. But the, can you imagine the amount of money that is being dealt with in college football? Now, I'm talking about low levels of college basketball and me seeing it and being around it. I can only imagine the millions of dollars that are being thrown around in college football, especially at the high level. That's why I bring this up. Because, there, I mean, we all, like, there's millions, even even to the point that you could say billions of dollars to be made at high levels of college football. So you can't tell me that the boosters at Texas A&M don't go to all those players and you have the greatest recruiting class in the history of rankings and blah, blah, blah. You cannot tell me then that, that there's not an astronomical amount of money being thrown at these guys. So for for Jimbo to say, we're not cheating, blah, blah, blah. Well, yes, you're not cheating by the letter of the law anymore because of NIL, but you were abusing the system to no end. Because this is what not this is not what NIL was made for. NIL was made for a player could now go sell his jersey. A player could sell his shoes. A player can can be represented by the local car dealership. The a player can can be in a commercial. A player can go to a camp and speak and stuff like that. Like that's what this was made for. For guys to make a couple thousand bucks here or there. Not for guys to be making eight million dollars before they've even played college football that that's not what this was made for and uh, and like i said i bring my my life experience with this into it from the basketball perspective because i'm just saying if it's happening in the levels of college basketball that i've been a part of i can only imagine what it's like in the sec or the Big 12, or the like, the Big 10. I can only imagine what it's like at those places because I've seen it firsthand. I've been around it. It happens. We all know it happens. But 
my goodness, we got to find a way. <laughs> we got to find a way to police it. And, and, and I don't know if there's an answer. Like I said, I, I, I'm not, I, I've said it a couple times in different episodes. I don't know the answer. And, and time will tell. I mean, obviously, we're in the infancy stages of this. But to give my final thoughts on the whole Saban Jimbo Fisher thing, like, like I said at the beginning, Saban's remarks taken completely out of context. Completely out of context. Shocking that the media would ever do that. Ever. We all know that. But nonetheless, ruffled some feathers and created a big game for us later in the year. I believe it's in October. But hopefully I will be at a stadium near you and I won't be watching that game nonetheless. But uh, again, that's that's my thoughts on it. But take it take it as you may. Again, I'm not like I said, I'm not gonna I, I've told many of my Yukon followers that that uh when I'm at a, a Yukon Husky tailgate this year at the rent, we can talk about things. But again, I'm not gonna you can message me but I'm not going to say names or programs or anything, but it, it happens. It happens everywhere. It happens in other sports. I mean, you just, it is what it is. It's part of it. And we got to, we got to learn to live with it and deal with it now. Cause we, uh, it's been going on for years and years and years and it's not going to stop. So especially now that it's legal. But that brings me to the end of the show tonight, guys. Thank you so much for listening, tuning in every week. Uh, feel free to follow me personally at Coach underscore B Will. And again, uh, please, please, please follow the podcast Twitter account at TNT College Foot One. Always try to <clears throat> post different stuff on there daily, give you as much content as I can. Try to do a good job with that. And uh, again, you can, uh, in the bio of the podcast twitter account you can find the online store love to get support there and then you can you're always free to uh donate to uh to me as well for my travels to uh again the whole basis of what i'm doing to attend a home game at every fbs stadium um, and that is well on its way and off to a great start so again thank you guys so much for tuning in have a good night god bless